Welcome back to the Vodka, Lemonade and Crime podcast. In this second episode, me and George explore the case that leads to the search for one of Wales's most wanted criminals. This story covers everything from escaping police custody, mistaken identity and murder. If you can serve the time, then get ready for some vodka, lemonade and crime. Okay, welcome back. Hi. <laughs> Imagine if if you listen to the first episode and you're like, oh yeah, they're talking about getting all these guests on, and then you tune in again, and it's me. <laughs> people love you. They well, loved you last my time. My mum loved me. No, no, I had people come back and say you were funny. Um, so, so don't worry. And also, there will be guests. We just got yeah. to pick the right people, you know. Okay, so um, the cocktail that we're drinking today, I've named Yaki Dar. Why have I called it that? Because that means uh, it's some some word in that Welsh language. Um... Yakidar means cheers. Yeah. In Welsh. Okay. And the reason why I've called it that is because our crime today is set in Wales, and the ingredients are a shot of whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. What? <laughs> Just whiskey. No. no. Whiskey um, and water. Mm. A shot of whiskey, spiced orange ginger ale, a teaspoon of honey over ice with a slice of orange. Delicious. Lovely. The sources for today's episode are BBC News, Wales Online and thefreelibrary.com. All of the links that I use to inform today's podcast will be in the description and they'll also be in the description of the Instagram post that is dedicated to today's episode. So you can check that out over on socials. Let's get into it. Our story begins in the area of Roth, Cardiff. Those who are not familiar, Cardiff is the capital of Wales in the United Kingdom. It is Sunday the 11th of April 2010. 17-year-old Amir Siddiqui is in his family home on Ninian Road with his parents Iqbal Siddiqui and Paveen Siddiqui. This day started off beautifully. It was the first warm day of the year and people were out and about. Amir had been up early that morning studying for his A-level exams. Amir was a model student and studied at Cardiff High School. He had dreamt of studying law at university and had been accepted into Cardiff Law School. This beautiful morning gave no indication of the horror that was about to unfold on his own doorstep. Later that morning, there was a knock at the door. Amir was expecting a visit from his imam as they were due to have a Quran lesson that day. Amir opened the door to two middle-aged men who were masked and armed with knives. They began attacking Amir and stabbed him multiple times in the torso. Amir's parents tried to intervene. His dad, who had undergone a knee replacement operation not long before the attack, bravely used all of his energy to hold back one of the one of the attackers. He pinned his hands against the wall and his, put his head against the attacker's chest to hold him against the wall. But the attacker was too strong for him and slashed him twice. So Amir's dad was stabbed twice as well. Meanwhile, Amir's mum, Paveen, had jumped onto the back of the other attacker, who by this time had chased Amir into the dining room. But Paveen was also slashed by the attacker. Following this, they then fled the scene and sped off in a Volvo XC90. Crazy. The, um, the mum and dad were very brave. 
you see two blokes coming at you with a knife in your house. Yeah. And your reaction is to just jump on them. I know. What a nails lady. So Amir's parents immediately phoned the police, whilst Amir laid unconscious on the ground. Police arrived within five minutes of the call. When the officers got to the scene, desperate attempts were made to try and save Amir's life, but they were not successful. There are conflicting reports about when the paramedics arrived, but it was somewhere between 20 to 40 minutes, but by this time it was too late. So the police had arrived in five minutes and the paramedics were also called, but it was between 20 to 40 minutes. Unfortunately, it was too late. He was given the best chance, but his injuries were too severe, said one of the responding officers. In my years of police service, there's no doubt about it. It was the most distressing incident I have ever had to attend. I vividly remember getting out of the police car and seeing all the happy faces enjoying the good weather in the flower gardens opposite the house and then contrasting it with what we were confronted in the house just across the street. It was one of those incidents where the details of that day never leaves you. It never fades with time. Now we move on to the hunt for who carried out this vicious attack and why on earth would they want to kill an innocent 17-year-old who was just starting out in life? In the days that followed, Amir's parents, family and friends made repeated appeals to the public for any information about who had killed their son. Police issued descriptions of two men they wanted to speak to and they offered a £10,000 reward for any information Calls flooded BBC's Crime Watch programme. The police had received a tip-off from the owner of a little corner shop called TNAs in Salisbury Road in Contes, which is about 10 minutes away from where the attack had taken place. TNAs, there's loads of those around the Cardiff area. I'm not too sure what TNAs stand for, but it's pretty much just like a little corner grocery shop that sells bits and pieces. Zaid Akbar, the owner of the TNA store 10 minutes away, trawled through CCTV footage after his mother, who was 70, recognised descriptions of the men reported in the South Wales Echo newspaper. Ah. So his 70-year-old mother has said to him, I think I recognise these two men from the newspaper. They were in the store. You need to check out that CCTV. So they could have gone to the shop before the attack or possibly Ex- after. Exactly. Not during that. Zaid Akbar's mother said that the two men had come into the store and they had asked for tape and gloves before leaving with only a packet of cigarettes. The police then used this intelligence and other CCTV from around Cardiff to track the whereabouts of the two suspects before and after the attack. And I have a picture of the two guys on the CCTV camera uh, walking down one of the main streets in Cardiff. So I'm going to put that over on my Instagram so you can go check that out. Um, And that was part of the police tracking the CCTV process. South Wales police also found the Volvo XC90 that was seen speeding away from the scene abandoned. The car contained traces of Amir's blood in the footwell and also DNA and fingerprints. Both the DNA and fingerprints came back as a match for a Mr. Jason Richards, who was 38, and a Mr. Ben Hope, 39. Both men were arrested on suspicion of murder and attempted murder not long after the attack took place. There's conflicting reports about how long after, but it was around 17 days after the murder that they were arrested on suspicion of murder but who on earth were these men i'm not sure but the volvo xc90 i've just googled it it's a 
a nice car. Is that one of the updated versions, probably? I, don't know. I mean, I do a 2000. I imagine that's probably like an older one, but still. Yeah, it's a pretty big car. Nicer car than yours. <laughs> I mean, don't rinse the Fiat 500. <laughs> anyway, it's a nice, it's a nicer car than you'd expect these chaps to have used as a gateway vehicle and then abandon. Yes, you know, so indicating like a, that yeah. the car is stolen. Well, indicating the car is stolen, but yeah. I don't know, my point was, if you're just looking for an anonymous anonymous car... <laughs> <laughs> Can I, do I have permission to take the piss out of you? Uh, no, absolutely not. That's not how this works. If I was, gonna, if I was just going to be um, committing some kind of murder and my plan was to abandon the vehicle afterward, I'd look for you know, a crappy anonymous car. Right. Well, what type of car would that be? A Fiat 500. (laughs) (laughs) Jason Richards and Ben Hope were described as operating in the city's underworld. They had previously met in prison and went on to have a drug-dependent relationship in the outside world. So these guys, they're no stranger to law enforcement. And that's why there was a match on the DNA and the fingerprints from the car, because the police had already had them on file. What do you mean by drug-dependent relationship? I'll get into that now. Jason Richards, his level of addiction was so bad that he often relied upon Ben Hope to inject heroin into his otherwise unreachable parts of his anatomy after all the veins had collapsed in his arms. Horrific. It was later discovered that they were both high on heroin during the attack against Amir. Like I said, they had both previously been jailed and they were no strangers to law enforcement. Hope had been jailed for six years in 1997 for kidnapping and robbery. Richard's previous convictions included actual bodily harm against his wife in 2004, robbery and blackmail. So these guys are not good guys. After the police had made their arrest, they discovered that both Richard's and Hope had been paid £1,000 each in blood money to carry out the attack. Can you explain what blood money is? So basically, uh, money to kill somebody is blood money. No, I... I, I, Yeah, I've just never heard of anyone. I can't believe you've never heard of the term blood money. No. After all of the films you watch. So they paid a grand each? Yes, Right, they're paid a grand a piece, but their reward for information about the murder they committed was £10,000. So they'd make more money from reporting their own crime than they would, in theory. Obviously, that's impossible, but yeah, in theory, than committing the crime. Mm -hmm. That's an appallingly low amount. Yeah, I don't know. Obviously, the the crime is appalling, but the, the, the low fee that they charge... For it just I don't know why it just makes it seem that they accepted to do it on you mean just completely yeah. desperate indi- individuals yeah it just makes it seem worse somehow I know and I mean there's absolutely no price that you can put on taking a life but a thousand pound is that really well if you want to if you want to tell up the full price it's two thousand pound but I, <laughs> I take your point God sake. it's a moo point <laughs> moo yeah the the opinion of a cow <laughs> doesn't matter just watched that episode the other day it's brilliant what episode friends oh yeah i love that one <laughs> joey <Yeah. laughs> oh you're very shocked tonight it's a moo point yeah the opinion of a cow yeah okay so they're paid 
thousand pound each. Yes, <clears throat> they were paid a thousand pound each to carry out the attack, but they targeted the wrong street. They killed Amir in a case of mistaken identity. So not only did these guys decide that it was a good idea to carry out a murder and then accept a thousand pound for it, they then got the wrong guy. That's appalling. So the 17 year old kid was completely unconnected, innocent. Completely nothing to do. Just died for absolutely nothing. Yeah. A complete waste. That is so dreadful. So who paid them to kill? The man who was the intended target was a Mr. Mohammed Tanai, a father of four who lived on Shirley Road, the street that runs behind Ninian Road, where Amir was murdered. So it's the street directly behind. Mm. And in fact, Amir lived on the very end house of Ninian Road and Mohammed Tanai lived on the very end house on Shirley Road. So it was basically the house directly behind Amir's that was supposed to be the intended target. So these idiots were probably just told, hit that house on the end. Yeah. So now we take it back in time a bit to try and explain why Mr. Mohammed Tanai was the intended target for this awful crime against Amir Siddiqui. We go back to 2003, seven years before the murder had taken place on September the 29th. We're in the same area, Roth, lakeside of Cardiff. Cardiff High School had just finished for the day and children were leaving the site to head home from school. So we're talking it's around half past three. A 13-year-old, Luke Tanai, a student at Cardiff High School, had been permanently excluded for poor behaviour, but he was waiting by the gates for his friends to finish school. Luke Tanai is Mohammed Tanai's son, the guy who was the intended target for the murder in 2010. It is now around four o'clock and the local bus has arrived outside Cardiff High School and it is heading into the city centre. Now, this bus isn't a dedicated school bus for that high school. This bus is a publicly run bus. So you have members of the public on there. You also have children from other high schools that have got on this bus, and it gets very, very busy. Three boys, including Luke, dared each other to jump onto the side of the bus as it pulled off from the bus stop outside Cardiff High School. It went around a roundabout and continued on for a short distance. It was said to have driven around 245 metres. Children on board the bus had shouted to the driver to stop, stop. There's boys on the side of the bus, stop driving. Two boys jumped off safely, but Luke, unfortunately, he held on for too long and then when he jumped, he fell to his death on Lake Road East, which is right by Cardiff High School. Luke's parents, Mohammed Tanai and his mother, Hannah Tanai, lived on Frere Oak Road, which is just the road immediately down from where he had been killed by the bus. After their son's death, Mohammed and Hannah put their house up for sale on, on Fair Oak Road. They thought it's too emotional to stay here with Luke's bedroom and we really, really just want to get out of this house. So they bought a second house on Shirley Road and that is the same house that got confused in the murder case. That's the house they were intending to hit, you mean? Exactly. Right, okay. They actually owned two houses, Mohammed and Hannah Tanai. 
they didn't sell the one on Fair Oak Road before purchasing the one on Shirley Road. So at this time they owned both houses, but they're only living on the one in Shirley Road. And they put the one on Fair Oak Road up for sale, but unfortunately it doesn't sell and it stays on the market for years. Mr. Tanai was contacted by a Mr. Muhammad Ali Edge. So both um, Mr. Tanai and Ali Edge have the same first name, which is Mohammed. So from this point on, I'm going to refer to them as Mr. Tanai and Mr. Ali Edge. So Mr. Ali Edge offered to buy the property off Mr. Tanai, the one on Fair Oak Road. He offered him £265,000 for the house on Fair Oak Road. Mr. Tanai accepted the offer and received an initial payment of £10,000 in cash from Mr. Edge. So he gave him £10,000 in cash. Further payments followed until he had received a total of £50,000 in cash. So Ali Edge had given Mr. Tanai a total of £50,000 in cash. But after that, the payments stopped. Mr. Tanai, because of him owning two houses was in a lot of debt so he spent that £50,000 as quickly as he got it to pay off his debts. It's a bit of a weird way to buy a house you just you're just drip feeding someone cash yeah and it, what period I don't know what period but it also says to me if you're not going through official solicitors or any of this he's not legitimate bloke you know <laughs> yeah like, who just gives somebody £10,000 in cash? The only reason why you would pay in cash and that much in cash is because you don't want it to, to be declared. Mm-hmm. And you, so therefore it says that you've got that money illegitimately. Possibly. That's a bit of a jump, but yeah, possibly. Yeah. Either way, it's weird that you just he's just drip feeding this guy money and he's not quite... He's not giving them the, the, the full amount, is he? I mean, for Ali Edge's protection, surely you would pay in card or through another means. Yeah, possibly. So he's obviously not having that protection and taking the risk for a reason. Yeah. Either way, this guy shouldn't have spent it. After Mr. Tanai had received the £50,000, things started to delay and Mr. Tanai received no further money. He asked Mr. Edge who his solicitors were. So at this point, he asks him who his solicitors were. He didn't think to do that at the beginning. I know. Okay. And to this, Mr. Edge didn't respond. It was only a few months later that he said to Mr. Tanai that he no longer wanted to go through with the sale and he wanted his £50,000 back. But Mr. Tanai had already spent it. It's not there. When he explained to Mr. Edge that he couldn't return the money... This was when the intimidation began. Mr. Tanai explained in court that random people would show up to his door at all hours of the day, intimidating him to give back the money. Every four, five or six weeks, there would be a knock at the door. I would answer and they would demand the money, he said. He said it was November 2009, so this is the year before the murder took place when he opened the door for the last time and claimed on this occasion he saw Mr Edge himself and he was with a second man but he couldn't recognise him as the second man was wearing a mask. Mr Tanai said that Muhammad Ali Edge punched him in the face in front of his wife and children at the doorway when he opened the door. It was a hard blow and he fell right to the ground. As he tried to get up, the masked man sprayed him in the face with pepper spray. They continued hitting him before fleeing the scene. 
The court was shown pictures of Mr Tanai's injury to his face and he was later treated in hospital, but Mr Tanai said that he had discharged himself early from hospital because he was so concerned about his family's safety. So between November 2009 and April 2010, it was believed that Mohammed Ali Edge recruited the likes of Jason Richards and Ben Hope to kill Mr Mohammed Tanai for the collapse of the sale on the property on Fair Oak Road. Well, I mean, this guy, Edge, he's not the um, sharpest tool in the box, is he? Pardon the pun. I mean, if yeah. you're, you've got a history, you've got a recorded history of you turning up at this, gu- of this guy's house... Then you beat him up and then you just decide, oh, that doesn't work. So I'll just send a couple of people to kill him. Like as if the, the fingers aren't going to be pointed at you straight away. Like what's he, he must have some kind of, he must have a plan. When the police tried to find and arrest Mr. Muhammad Ali Edge, they discovered that he had fled the country. <laughs> there's, his, there's his plan. There's just, his plan. I'll just leave. There we are. That will fool them. It was believed that he had fled the UK to France across the channel on a ferry. It was believed from France he then went on to Spain, Morocco, Senegal, Nepal and Bahrain before arriving in India. Wow. Was reported to sometimes wear a wig to disguise himself as he had a distinctly shaven head. So there's a picture of Muhammad Ali Edge over on Instagram if you want to go and check that out. It was in 2011 that the police in India found and arrested Mr. Muhammad Ali Edge and he was waiting in India for his extradition back to the UK. He waited there for six years. It was April 12th, 2017, when he was making his way back to the UK with the Indian authorities to face his trial in the UK. Right, so, well, hold on. So they've arrested him, 2011, you say? Mm-hmm. And they just keep him there for like six, seven years. That's what we can or assume. So all of the sources between that six-year period seem to go quite quiet. Right. But we can only assume that they have him in custody in India and he was in jail for six years in India. Yeah. Maybe we... Waiting to go back to the UK. Yeah. To be tried. Ask for him to be extradited at, a, at the 60 point or something like that. But either way, he got a nice taste of the Indian justice system. Yes. Yeah. So So what happens? We back now. The Indian authorities were in the process of taking him back to the UK and they were at a train station at New Delhi. Oh no. I don't like where this is going. Mohammed Ali Edge used a restroom, so a public restroom in this train station in New Delhi, and escaped through the window of the restroom. And he has been on the run ever since that time. He's still gone. He's still gone. He must have a really good wig. <laughs> that's that's unbelievable. Yes. He's out of a window. I know. I knew it was too good to be true when you were saying, oh, it'd be a bit boring if they just arrested him and brought him back. You know, where's the Tim Hennis turnaround? Twist. Exactly. The, the twist, Tim Hennis yeah. twist. <laughs> Unless he's involved somehow. Oh, George. No, he's not. I, no, I know. I know that. Okay, so the Europol uh, has made appeals and said that yeah, it is well. believed that he travels extensively and he uses false documentation to travel. And, and wigs. Yeah, and he may have changed his appearance. I, A.K.A. his hair. 
and he uses a range of different names so aliases including Ahmed Aheris, Ahmed Ali, Khalid Ali, Muhammad Ali, Tariq Muhammad Ali, Ali Muhammad and Tariq Ali Muhammad so all different variations of the similar name mixed up you're missing one which one which one Tim Hennis <laughs> just guessing and there's also a picture that Europol has released of uh, different images of Mohammed Ali Edge and I will share that over on my Instagram in different wigs it, lo- legit that he's in different wigs I'd love it if um, can I show you the yeah, picture I'd love, I'd love to see it I'd love to if one of them was like a, a Karen wig like <laughs> Like a blonde Karen wig. That's what I'm imagining. <laughs> That's <laughs> the one on the bottom right. Oh my god, he looks like me. <laughs> He's got the same hair as you. Yeah. Yep. So this picture is over on my Instagram. If you want to know what we're talking about, you could check that out. So Mr. Muhammad Ali Edge has now been branded as one of Wales's most wanted criminals. Anyone with information about the whereabouts of Mohammed Ali Edge is asked to contact the major incident public portal or to contact South Wales Police on 101, quoting reference number 1700 150924. Or you can also contact Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 111. And that is the end of the case of Mohammed Ali Edge. Still on the run. He could be next door for all we know. That was a good one. Yeah. I think I'd recognise that wig if I saw him next door. So that's the end of another episode. Thanks so much for listening and for all the support that we have received so far. Keep your reviews coming and don't forget to follow us over on socials at Volcalaminating Crime where we give you all the details on upcoming episodes. That's all from me for now. So if you can serve the time, then join us in the next one of Vodka, Lemonade and Crime. Thank you.